0: My name is Ryan Oschlager, the pastor here at Sunrise Community Church. Glad you could all be here this morning. Uh, If you notice, we chose worship songs this morning that did not involve rain or any form of precipitation. So I left out Grace Like Rain, uh, Let the River Flow, and of course the new hits on Christian radios across the world, Your Love is Like a Tropical Depression. So I left that one out as well this morning. It's big. It's big. It has stormed the airwaves. Come on! I got plenty of these, people. I'm going to keep going if you don't, you know. If you're going to turn the tide against me like this, I'm going to keep going. We're launching community groups today. uh, Very excited, and they will be launching today, but continuing to launch through this week. Uh, You can sign up in the foyer, as they say in France, or foyer, where I'm from down in the southern part of the United States. Or you can sign up online, so please consider doing either. In fact, this morning we're going to take one more Sunday to look at community. And next week we'll resume our series, uh, Big Words for Living. Uh, So this morning, we're looking at community like Jesus in a church and in Cayman. What does it look like to have community like Jesus in a local church and in Cayman? We're going to roll up our sleeves in and get right to work. If you have a Bible with you, open to John, chapter 13, verse 21. John thirteen twenty-one. If you're going to borrow one of our Bibles in the handy chair pockets nearby, it's page 770. Page 770. Now, if you think about it, Jesus really had two sort of realms of community. Two realms of community, a heavenly one and an earthly one. So, the deepest community Jesus has, and has had, is with God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. All right, and that can't go there today, that's a a sermon in its own right, but it's awesome, it's powerful. But this morning, since uh, we are all, we're all from earth, or or at least came in, right? (laughs) We're going to look at Jesus' earthly community group earthly community group, his 12 disciples that he had community with and fellowshiped with. The scene we're going to look at is in John 13 and Jesus and his disciples are gathered together around a table for a, a final dinner together, eat some grub. And in this scene, we can learn two major lessons about having community like Jesus that are important for having community in a local church and in here in Cayman, I think. So let's read together. John 13, 21 through 38. We're going to read this morning. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified Truly, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, I just want to stop here. Imagine, Jesus just washed the disciples' feet. This is really the first time they're kind of at the table, sitting together. And this is Jesus' opening line. One of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, this would be John, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately, that is Judas immediately, went out and it was night. When, Jesus had, when he had gone out, sorry, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for these words. I ask for your spirit's help this morning, Lord, we do, to hear what you're trying to say to us about community. Lord, um, you've helped me prepare the wood but I need you to bring the fire this morning. I pray that you bring it and you would help us listen and set our hearts ablaze to respond in obedience to you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start this morning looking at community in a church. And the major lesson, sort of major lesson number one, is that community will never fit the ideal at least not your version of it. Community will never fit the ideal, at least not your version of it. Now, we think about community and the ideal, our version, as so we think about different kinds of people, right? People who you might encounter on a diving trip. You know, people you might see in come out of bay, at a cafe, at a local festival, in theater, in education, at a bar, at a church that you're used to, In your neighborhood. It's different for each person. I don't know what it is for you. People who maybe look like you. Who sound like you. Are from where you're from. Who read what you read. Laugh at what you laugh at. Talk how you talk. Right? We don't want to admit this. But we'd like to have these kind of people and community around us. It's our tendency. It's our natural tendency. But communities centered around Jesus will always be bizarre. Right? It will be weird. Consider who is present at Jesus' final community group dinner. All right, consider who's present. We're going to look at a few of these profiles and contrast. Just a couple here. Uh, Simon the Zealot is one. Now Simon had always attached to his name the word zealot or frequently. A zealot indicated that, the, that he hated the Roman government under which his people were subjected. And he was zealous to rebel against them. Zealots would later engage in guerrilla warfare against this government. So we have here a guy who hated any kind, any form, of secular government he's one of these guys you know if you saw him today he'd have his head shaved right he'd have one of those anarchist patches on his shirt sleeve you ever see this right you know and he'd listen to the sex pistols all right? these are like old punk rock music I mean this kind of guy a guy who sort of you know you look at and he kind of intrigues you in a coffee shop but he scares the bejesus out of you in a dark alley right I do not want to be around him it's frightening we have him on the one hand, Simon Zealot, Simon the Zealot, and imagine sitting next to him Matthew or Levi, the tax collector, who worked his entire adult life as an auditor for the government, or as I like to say, the government, right? Um, He and his pals cheated and swindled Jews out of hard-earned money. He did so in starched, pressed Brooks Brothers' shirts, right? Neatly tucked in with the same gray tie every day. And he never did anything without a budget, right? One of these kind of guys. Very straightforward. So you had the pencil pusher, bean counter, IRS agent, right? Who mingles with these sleeveless, head-shaven anarchists, all right? You think there was some tension between them every once in a while? Should I bring it up? Should I bring up the question, why do you believe in government? Right, Constant tension. What brought them together? Jesus. Jesus was the glue that bound them. That doesn't mean there wasn't tension, though. I don't want to overlook the realism of this. Just because someone trusts their life to Jesus doesn't mean they don't bring in their own political, sociological ideologies into the fray. Certainly would have been the case here as well. Look at another one. John. John, the rich mama's boy. All right, John was a fisherman along with his brother James. His, he was from a family business that from all accounts, we can tell it had done quite well, quite well monetarily. Now John, a young man, is this sensitive disciple who leans on Jesus. As we see here, reclining against Jesus during the Last Supper, Right? He's, no, he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's one of these guys that when he called home, you know he talked to mom. Right? He talked to mom. Mom, what are you making? He had them a favorite souffle. Oh, man. Can you send me a care package with some of those cookies? Yeah, this is this kind of guy. Nothing wrong with that. All right? Sensitive. Caring. Dare I say it, mama's boy. Then you have Peter. Someone like Peter, who's also a fisherman, but kind of a scrappy, blue-collar fisherman. And for what we know about him, his fishing trade that he worked at along with his brother Andrew, it was definitely more hand-to-mouth. This was not as successful. It didn't come from a prominent family. He was living more hand-to-mouth on the fish he was catching and selling. Now, imagine Peter being around John, right? Not only has the family business... Been far outshined by John's for quite some time, right? But now John receives even more blessings. Now he becomes Jesus' disciple. He's even more blessed, right? He's the one who seems to be the object of Jesus' affection. He's sitting next to him at the dinner table for the last community group. He's the beloved disciple. I can imagine Peter sitting there thinking, Man, the rich just get richer, don't they? Jesus actually recognizes this hint of jealousy in Peter. So at the end of the Gospel of John, there's this great moment, a great scene where Jesus essentially tells Peter how he's going to die. Right? He's going to be a martyr. He's going to die for the faith. And then what does Peter do? He he looks back at baby-faced mama's boy and says, hey, Jesus, uh, what about him? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus Totally begins to push his buttons. And says, If it is my will that he remains until I come again, what is that to you? Right, so he basically says, Eh, I don't know, I might just leave him around till I come again on the last day. And you imagine Peter be like, What? What? Ah, the sky gets everything. He has to live forever. And even John has to even make a point in the Gospels and say, It was not that Jesus said that the beloved disciple would live forever, only that he might live until the last day. What's it matter to you, right? Another person, if you're like me, you've been around people who fall, uh, if I might say this, bass backwards into money, into blessing in their life, and it's very annoying. Right? It, it, it grates on you. are like, why? This person, they just, they don't even work, or they, they are blessed. And it can become annoying. You can get jealous. community again can only happen in these situations because it's centered around Jesus he binds such people together so there's all these kinds of examples I wrote down some more I won't go into them but of course there's this last example then we have Judas right Judas Iscariot now think about this Judas Iscariot God put God the Father put Judas in Jesus' community group All right. he brought him. They didn't, you know, they couldn't sign up online. Judas just showed up, right? And God's like, here you go. And then he lets Judas hang around for three years and be the one to handle all the money, right? Is there, more, is there a more sensitive topic? Is there a more disconcerting and fought over topic than money? And the guy who's going to betray Jesus becomes treasurer of the group, So we have this scene here in John 13. Judas is at the table. And all the disciples know that someone's going to betray Jesus. And then two find out who that is. Friends, God may put someone in your community group. Someone who has different little philosophies, backgrounds. Someone you consider once having lived the most despicable life possible. Someone whom God keeps blessing and it becomes so annoying. Even someone who ultimately robs you and betrays you. In this video we just watched a few minutes ago, we saw and we heard of a lot of reels, right? A lot of reality. Real people, real leaders, real topics of study. And I guarantee you the people who are speaking in this video didn't find all the persons, all the leaders, all the places, all the topics of studies ideal. I guarantee it. And that's why I didn't put a lot of the flowery stuff in that video of how great, just great community is, because community is reality. But it's so easy to talk about simply ideals in community, isn't it? Right? We could say things like, man, we're going to be like the early church, We're going to give to one another. People are going to be, 3,000 are going to be multiplied to us daily. Right? We have grown. (laughs) That's good as a church. But it never quite turns out that way. And so we start despising the reality that we're left with. Right? It's not good enough. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a great book. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer died for his faith. Um, he actually traveled back to Germany during the Nazi regime. He was from there, but he had gone off to teach in seminary. He died for his faith when he went back there. was hung on the gallows, essentially. Now, this guy believed strongly in the local church, but, he did, but they couldn't have a church in Nazi Germany, so they had this kind of church underground And he wrote this great book called Life Together, which we actually, I think, have a copy on the book table back there. And what he says, I'm just going to sum up what he says. He says, the dream of community, by God's grace, the ideal of community never happens. And it's that way because of God's grace. Which you read and you think, what? What are you talking about? Why would that be by God's grace? He goes on to say, the one who holds on to the dream... ...of community... ...while forsaking the reality of community... ...becomes a destroyer of the latter. Which is a strong word. to say He's a destroyer of the reality of community. Why is that? Again, it's this idea... ...that we have this one picture of community. This ideal. And if it doesn't meet that... ...we get kind of bitter. You know, we just... ...we stop coming... We stop relating. We start opening up. But it's by God's grace you see that we have this reality. Your ideal, friends, is never God's ideal. The time will come, six, month in, six months in a community group where the honeymoon's over. You know, all the good vibes, they're not all gone, but a lot of them are gone. People start to grade on you at times. Topics start to become bland. Occasionally, Going to a community group just seems burdensome. I I don't really want to go. That's because God's ideal is grace. God's ideal isn't the perfect group. God's ideal isn't for just you to become more like him. Simply you. God's ideal is grace. Think about it. God put Judas into to Peter's life. So Peter could see his own sin, his own need for grace. And learn to forgive others. Right? God put Judas in Peter's community group so he could see his need for Jesus. His own sin. And so he could forgive others. Now imagine, first of all, back up here, being robbed, betrayed, betrayed. Then you receive the public and private humiliation and devastation of a member of your inner circle committing suicide. This is what happened in the case of Judas. On the one hand, horrible, sinful, and then tragic. That happens. If it happened in a church like ours, you know, a pastor, or whatever, churches shut down when things like that happen. Churches disband. But not with this band of men. Why is that? Let's look at how they stick together. At the first thought of judgment, of pride, the leader of this band of men is reminded of his own potential to betray. Peter would go on to be the leader of these disciples. He'd be the first to stand up, the first to speak the gospel to the crowd, the first to be restored by Christ. But in this very passage, when he just finds out that someone's going to betray Jesus... He is told of his own potential betrayal. Let's look, look with me. Verse 37 and 38. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This is... Seems like a weird time to tell Peter this. On one hand, on the other it's a perfect time. He has just found out that someone in his little group is going to betray Jesus. And man, he's—I'm going to follow you. Forget this guy. I'm here, Jesus. I'm—I'm I'm bringing it. But Peter is later restored. He deny, he does deny Jesus—and he's later restored and forgiven by Jesus. So he experiences God's grace. And also, if you read Acts chapter 1, and they have to nominate a new apostle to fulfill Judas Iscariot's position to make 12 again, in Acts 1, you will see that there's no hint of acrimony, no hint of bitterness towards the man who betrayed his Savior. It would have been so easy to talk that way, wouldn't it? But it doesn't at all. He says, you know, this is part of God's plan. Now we're going to nominate something new. Nominate someone new. And God's going to do a new work through this man. No acronym, no bitterness. would have been so easy, right? Oh man, praise God, Judas is gone, right? Woo! Oh my gosh. That was bad. If you look even up in the picture up there, you can't see it in this one, but the earlier, in um, Da Vinci's Last Supper here, made in the 15th century, You'll notice, the scholars debate this, that either the Judas' face can't be seen because Da Vinci meant it that way, but more likely it was etched out by someone. Someone in the church decided to come by and etch out Judas' face while you can't see it clearly. Which proves my point, right? Even in this painting, people are like, ah, Judas, uh, get rid of him. It would have been so easy to do that. But Peter gets the opportunity to show forgiveness because forgiveness has been shown to him. That's the kind of opportunity we have in community groups. Right? We need community to see our need for grace and to show to others, show grace to others who teach us that lesson. Right? Judas taught a lesson to the disciples. God used him to give them this opportunity to show forgiveness. Right? And he gives us the same opportunity. But before we say, oh man, I can relate to that. I've been around a number of scoundrels, right? Before you say that in my, hopefully not in a British slash pirate accent like I just gave, uh, when you say it normally, in your head, most likely, remember that you are that scoundrel. I am that scoundrel. I had all these stories. I had some great stories lined up about Sort of bizarre people, circumstances, and lessons learned in community groups or small groups. And every couple I was like, oh man, that'll be fun to tell. And then I stopped. I literally put down my pen because I realized, man, I'm also that person to others. You know what I'm saying? I'm also that person to others. Others need me in their community groups. To learn how to show grace. To learn how to be patient. To learn how to cultivate long suffering. That's humbling. Somewhere, someone's telling stories about me. And you know, it's probably pretty funny. But it forced me to stop and realize, man, I am that person. So God's reality, which is also his ideal. Do you see that? Because grace comes in. God's reality, which is also his ideal, is better than your ideal dream of community. Because his ideal is grace. His ideal is grace. Experience of grace in community, showing grace to others. That's community in a church. We can learn about it from the life of Jesus. We can also learn about, I think... This is what was particularly interesting to me this week as I thought about this and meditated and what God put on my heart was that I think we can learn something from this about community in Cayman. Okay, man. Verse 33. Look at that with me if you would. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me and just as I said to the Jews, so also now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. So major lesson number two here. Community on the one to three year plan worked for Jesus. And it can work for us. Jesus accomplished, I think you'll agree with me, quite a bit in just three years with these disciples. He can do the same through the Holy Spirit in a local church in Cayman. I recognize there are certain realities of living here. Living in a church in Cayman and being at a church with mostly expats, mostly expatriates here. If you're a permanent resident or or a native Caymanian, you know how I feel about people who are here for the long term or are from here. Man, I dig it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Love it. That excites me. But the reality is... That if you're going to have community here in this church, a good friend stands a chance of moving away within one to three years. And that's hard. And one of the reasons it's got me thinking is two people had uh, just recently talked to myself on one hand and my wife Katie on the other about this reality that they were hesitant to get involved in a community group. To be motivated to sign up. Because, and you can say it with me, this island is so transient. Right? It's like the I think the eighth most popular word here in Cayman. All right, I've heard it almost as much as the and because. All right, transient. I hear it all the time. It is true. You get close to someone, and then they move away, or the opposite. You get close to someone, and then you move away. It becomes hard to want to invest, hard to want to get involved and, and be vulnerable. But I want us to step back just for a minute here and take a look at God's grander purposes in community. All right? So we're going to do that for a moment here. Number one, God's purpose in community is to conform individuals to his image as we live by faith. All right? Peter says a similar thing here as we looked at it just a minute ago in verse 33. Lord, where are you going? Jesus says, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. How will Peter follow afterwards? By faith. Right? Peter doesn't understand this concept now. He sees Jesus in the flesh. How am I going to follow afterwards? By faith. Why did Jesus have to leave? Why did Jesus have to leave them? He says to send the Holy Spirit. If I don't leave you, I cannot send the Holy Spirit. But Jesus could have come back in the flesh, right? I mean, he's God, he can do whatever he wants, he can come back in the flesh. But often God has to take the way, take away the sight of a person if we are to live by faith, right? And these disciples were called to trust him, put their faith in him spiritually, and carry on his work physically in fact this is the reason why these twelve are often called disciples but also apostles you ever wondered this I don't know I'm kind of a bible nerd I'm kind of a dork but I always wonder like why do they call them disciples on one sometimes and apostles on the other well this is the very reason they became disciples because they were committed followers of Jesus. But they became apostles when they became commissioned representatives of Jesus. That's what apostle really means. They became representatives. You can't represent someone who's right there. Right? But as they lived by faith and carried on his work physically, they became apostles. That's why in Acts you see them called apostles, apostles. If friendship and community are to be healthy, it will continue to spur on faith in conformity to the image of Christ when others depart. When that community departs. Second purpose in community is that we're supposed to become more dependent on Jesus, less dependent on others. It doesn't mean we don't ask others for help. It doesn't mean we don't want each person's spiritual gifts. But ultimately, we, our life depends on Jesus. Look at Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. I want to look at two great, great scriptures on fellowship. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Why do we meet together? Why do we spur one another on? We do it to, to towards love and good deeds. The ultimate purpose is to follow Jesus' commands of obeying Him and loving others. Alright, do you see that? In other words, it's not just to make this neat community where we maybe sing together and have a cool Christmas party. No, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's look at Colossians three. Colossians three, sixteen and seventeen. Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing spiritual psalms and hymns, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Notice, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, teaching one another great stuff. Ultimately, to God, In the name of the Lord Jesus. And again, to God. The ultimate purpose is God word. Christ word. You see that? Yeah, we're to be in community. Yes, we're to enjoy each other. Yes, it's awesome. But ultimately, it's to look to Jesus. To glorify Jesus. To depend on Jesus. But haven't you found, maybe you've found this too. I, I think sometimes, I think sometimes this ideal of a lifelong next door neighbor can be. I'm not saying it's always the way, but it can be selfish. That's hard to hear. But it can be selfish if that's our goal. If that's our ideal. Right? To depend on someone, to have someone around, you start depending on them so much that should they ever leave, you'll despise them for having left. You ever seen this happen? Man, how could they leave me? People don't say this, but they think it. Ah, what, how could they leave me? Why did they go take that job? Why did they go somewhere else? Another of God's purpose in community is to equip one another for ministry and to the ends of the earth. Equip one another for ministry and to the ends of the earth. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says this. It talks about offices and spiritual gifts. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Notice the equipping is for ministering to others. It's for ministry, not to sit back and simply enjoy a cool church experience. Right? God gives us spiritual gifts not simply to sit back and watch a show of people who are gifted or whatever but for the work of ministry. On Friday, I uh, had lunch with this pastor from Vero Beach, Florida. He's kind of a small group guru. Uh, He's been part of birthing or multiplying over 150 cell groups or small groups in his church. He had followed uh, Sunrise, he's he's visiting here, he had had been following Sunrise since I arrived, mostly via website. Now, I realize some of you are thinking, we have a website? Yes, I I thought we only had that one plastic sign outside. Well, yes, we have a website, and FYI, we have two plastic signs, all right? Two vinyl signs, and starting this month, we're going to rotate an elder to wear one of those sandwich board signs to his place of work and leisure, all right? Just, they've agreed to this. I think it's wonderful. Terry and and, and Jeff are great. Jeff's not here, so I can say that. Now, (laughs) sorry, back to this lunch. He was explaining how one of the keys to growing groups and raising leaders was going beyond just the vision for the need for community and accountability, although those things are important, and reminding each participant in each group that he or she has an opportunity to begin a lasting spiritual lineage. Just think of this opportunity now for us. If you're here for five to six years, or for the long haul, you have an opportunity to extend a spiritual lineage to the ends of the earth. As persons come and persons go, you can stuff how to live out the gospel of grace. You can stuff how to be a contributing part of the local church. You can stuff how to live in community into people's backpacks as they travel across the world your lineage can spread worldwide. Now, if you were here short term, you have the opportunity to leave behind a spiritual lineage. Especially if you're young. Just imagine, people are going to ask you where you've lived throughout your life. When they ask you that question, you're going to say, I lived in Cayman. Right? How are you going to describe your time living here? Will it merely be a Stop on the map, you know, a blip on the radar screen, or a youthful fling. Or will you be able to say, I left a lineage behind there. I have family there. A fourth purpose that God has in community is the spreading of faith, evangelism. Let's go back to John 13. Remember, Jesus has just made it clear to the disciples that he will be with them only for a short time longer. Just a short time until he goes to be with the Father. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, love one. He doesn't say, love just one person. But rather, love one another. Look with me if you would. Verses 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Friends, it's not a homogeneous, but a heterogeneous love that will raise eyebrows and cause the world to see genuine disciples. Most of us, I met most of you here, loving, caring people, great people, most of us can easily love one and the world is not impressed. Let me be real with you here for a moment at the risk of offending. Let me give you some examples of loving one. My friend Carl. Carl Nissen. How you doing, Carl? Good to see you, buddy. It's easy for me to love Carl. Carl and I share a similar sense of humor. We both enjoy literature. Of course, his sense of humor and his knowledge of literature better than mine. But we both like to ponder and think we're from the same continent, North America. We come from relatively stable families. We have, both have wives that far exceed our general pedigree. <laughs> yes, you all laugh and appreciate that one. It's true. Uh, We both have kids. We're in a similar season of life. I am so thankful for Carl. He's a great guy. But the world is not impressed by our relationship. My friend Gretel and her good friend met last week. Uh, They were outside having a good time, enjoying one another. Both in the same country, have similar interests. Laugh together. Again, I'm so thankful for their friendship. But the world is not impressed. My friend out here and Madhavi sitting together today. They both shared some similar experiences. Both at similar places in life, uh, similar seasons in life. By which I mean mid-30s. <laughs> actually wrote here on the paper, mid-30s. I didn't want to be careful not to offend on that one. Um, A budding friendship for which I am so grateful. But the world is not impressed. Friends, the world becomes impressed when we all end up in the same community group. Loving one another. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this example this morning of your own community group. And Jesus, I pray, first of all, that we would love the reality of a community group. Help us, Lord Jesus, put aside our ideals and love the reality which is grace. Help us see that we need certain kinds of people, even hard people, difficult people, annoying people, people with a great us sometimes to learn about your grace. And people need us to learn about grace and to show grace also. And Lord, help us dive into community groups then, Lord. Dive into real, tangible community. Father, for all the purposes, I think about the spiritual lineage that each of us could have and begin. One that could even reach the ends of the earth, Lord. Or one, when we're gone to the ends of the earth, might remain here in Cayman, growing and prospering. Father, I pray that we would be people of heterogeneous love. Lord, that a Jamaican older mom might go on walks with a Canadian young mom, that, that a Canadian businessman might meet with an American businessman to pray together, to lift one another up, that South African children might play with British Honduran children as well, Lord, together, Lord, in this church. That is when the world sits up and takes notice and says, this is something I want to be a part of. This is real community, not simply ideal. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.